This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas. You can follow the show on social media, both Twitter and Facebook, at No Nonsense Pod. You can also follow or subscribe to the show on wherever you're listening. That makes it easier and quicker to get our new episodes every Wednesday. And if you're listening on iTunes, we'd love if you'd leave us a rating and review. We've got a good show for you today because we've got a good Titans season to recap. Uh, We are recording this just a few days off of the Titans' disappointing loss in the AFC Championship game. They got up 10 early on and then succumbed to the power of Patrick Mahomes that I don't know if anybody, even these really good 49ers, are going to be able to stop. So, guys, I'll just open it up with this. Initial thoughts on the game and uh, sort of quickly, without getting too detailed, the season as a whole. Uh, You know, I mean, we weren't even supposed to be here, so... Yeah, I was still like really proud of the team, but it just felt like the Titans actually could have came away with that win. They, they I, I know Mahomes was on fire, uh, but the defensive game plan I wasn't very thrilled with. I, I thought we went about it uh, incorrectly, and especially going going up ten with Derrick Henry at running back, you would think that you'd be able not, not really to hold on to the lead because you know Mahomes and and a historic offense is on the other side uh, but to go down by so much late in the game when you already had a 10 point lead and your running game has been so effective and your your passing game has been so effective for for the duration of the season ever since Tannehill came on uh you know you, you just kind of expected more and it hurt because it just kind of all came crashing down so quickly uh, and you could see you could see it coming, but regardless, I'm I'm very proud of the team. I, I, like I said, I I wasn't expecting to be here, especially when we started out <laughs> two and four. I mean, I was ready for I was ready for Joe Burrow. I thought we were going to be picking like top eight at at least, uh, but now we're picking 29th, and it sucks to be picking that 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 low. But at the same time, it was absolutely worth the ride. And we'll get more into where they were at week six in just a little bit, too, because I think that's certainly something worth discussing as we recap this season. Will, Will, what do you think? I think you have to start with the bigger view first. You know, you have to be proud of what this team did and how they turned around, like, like we'll talk about in a minute. But there's so many positive signs to carry over into next year, like so many talented players that stepped up and who young players who took the next step forward and stars who for most of the season, if not all the season, you know, kind of played at a certain level, whether the team was losing or winning by 10 or the defense was playing, you know, there were guys like 
Taylor Lewan once he got in the rhythm of things. Roger Saffold after he got, you know, healthy and passed the bye week and all that stuff. Ben Jones was really good. You know, Derrick Henry was good. Con- you know, you, you have a bunch of guys who, if they're on the team next year, you feel confident about. Like, it, it, there's a blueprint for success there. Looking specifically at the Chiefs game, it's just super frustrating. I mean, it, the Titans were winning. That you know they were up by ten points two different times, and they were getting killed on defense and refused to adjust. And you know that they had a way they were ready to lose by if they were going to lose, and they certainly did. So it, it's it's fair to be frustrated with offense for you know kind of going cold for a while. But, I mean, really, the the fault on this, to me, uh, the fault in the whole loss was predominantly on the defense. But, again, season as a whole, you have to be proud of the team. It's the farthest the Titans have gone in a long time. They look really good. There's building blocks there. But it's okay to also be frustrated with the way the Titans choose or chose to lose, lose that game. Well, and and we'll get into that in just a second, because because I do think there's probably one prevail, prevailing reason why they lost that game. Um, but I don't think that this was any kind of a flash in the pan, and that's probably the national perspective. You know, oh, they just got hot at the right time, and we talked a little bit about this last week. I tend to think that it was more of like you were saying, Roger Saffold, you know, Lewan gets back and finally gets over the penalty issues. The quarterback play is good. Henry, you know, it, it was just kind of like it all kind of just started to click. And now heading into next year, you're not starting from ground zero. You know, you're going to have a new defensive coordinator, and we'll, we'll talk about that certainly in a little bit. But it's it, it's much less ground zero than it was last year. And, and Kenny Vaccaro said this yesterday or on Monday he said uh you know there were a lot of guys that probably didn't believe heading into the season that we had that in us and a run to the AFC championship game and so now when we start the offseason program in in March he said that you know that's where they'll be starting is with the belief that not only can we do this but that's the expectation yeah I I think that's what the standard should be really and I, I think a lot of people, especially ones that aren't you know, Titans fans, they're going to draw parallels to the Jaguars from a couple of years ago when they made the AFC Championship and were only one step away from the Super Bowl. But, but I don't think that's fair at all. They're completely different teams. And the Jaguars were set up for – they weren't set up for future success because their cap situation was horrible. Uh, Bortles was, you know – he he was Bortles. He just kind of got hot uh, at the right time, and they they had a historic defense that they just couldn't keep together, and it it was never going to work out. The Titans aren't in that situation, and I think they're set up a lot better going into the future. And the fact that they got to the AFC Championship while going nine and seven, I think I think it bodes well for the future, and I think. It'd be a real disappointment if they don't break the double-digit wins mark next season and and win the division. Yeah, you know, I completely agree with the parallels to the Jaguars that people are going to make. 
largely because it's a team that nobody paid attention to until they were forced to. And I think when you get those situations, you kind of end up making those same comparisons. But yeah, like defense year to year is very hard to sustain at a high level. So I think that was the big issue with the Jaguars is so many times it's, you know, half a foot this way, you know, you get a sack an inch this way, the ball's tipped, you get an interception. So uh, that's part of the reason why the Jaguars just couldn't sustain success. And they had a high-variance quarterback. So, you know, all things you touched on, but the Titans don't really have that. Like, they weren't exceptionally fortunate in getting turnovers. Their offense looks sustainable and a solid mix of explosive and consistent. So, I mean, they've got things to build on, but... Yeah, like at this point, it doesn't feel like a nine and seven team. It feels like an AFC championship team. Like not winners, but teams that pro- proved that you know they deserve to be in that top bracket, and they had to earn it to get there. I mean, they had to beat the Patriots. They had to beat the Ravens on the road. Like you know, it, it wasn't like they got to go the path that the Texans got, where you get to go against Matt McGloin at quarterback for the Raiders and like your one, like one of your few wins in, you know, the last decade in the postseason. So, uh, I mean, I'm encouraged where this team is and like Vrabel did last year, or at least how the season turned out, you have to hope that, okay, he's seen that level. Now the question is, what can I do to get, to the next step and go from good to great or, you know, if however you feel about that, and then you take the next step this season. So, I mean, we'll see. I want to hit on something you were just talking about, and really both of you were talking about. It's the lack of volatility in this team's model because that Jaguars team, and Matias, you made a, a reasonable comparison to the, uh, I want to say 2011 New York Jets that made the AFC championship game. Maybe it was 2010. Um, it would have been, yeah, 2010, because in 2011 is the Ravens. Uh, so the 2010 Jets made the AFC Championship game. were kind of never to be heard from again. Uh, but like you were saying, well, this just isn't a volatile model. This isn't a flash in the pan. And I think a big reason why is not only it's not only how they're winning and, oh, they're built to do this on the field, but it's the culture. And I wrote about that today. I, I put up a column, and, and what I'm kind of – saying and arguing and getting to, and I used that Vaccaro quote to help make my point, it's that Mike Vrabel has built something so special and so fundamentally sound in terms of the culture and the chemistry of this team that it goes beyond just the fact that there's, you know, no, you know, nobody that's going to ruffle feathers, you know, it's a lot like AJ Brown. I asked him, you know, what's been your impression of this locker room and your one year here? He said, it's family. We care about each other. And, and I granted the Titans are the only locker room that I'm in, but I just feel like it's probably not like that in a bunch of other places. Yeah. And it began before Vrabel even got here. The, the Mike Malarkey era kind of got all of this started and it kind of, ended up ingraining this culture that we're, you know, we're, we're going to change the perception of the team. And that's exactly what has happened. I mean, like you said, this isn't a flash in the pan and it isn't because we made the playoffs two years ago. We won a playoff game. We beat the chiefs in Kansas city. Uh, last year we go nine and seven, barely missed the playoffs. We also barely missed the playoffs of the year before that Kansas city win. And now 
this year we make the AFC Championship. So this isn't like a one-off. This has become a consistent model of success, and we finally took that next step this season, and it's just expected at this point that this is the the level of success that, that we're supposed to have. I think Mike Keith said it where he said, you know, the goal next year isn't to make the playoffs. It's to host a playoff game. Yes, like, and several that, players said that too on Monday. Yeah, like that That feels very much like what the team should be expecting. And, you know, it's like, okay, we've seen this team can go. There's a reason to turn out to a playoff game. If you get to host one, like it should be a big event. You know, obviously it would always be a big event because playoff games are playoff games. But it finally feels like, you know, even if this team is for some reason nine and seven or ten and six next year or not. Which I don't I don't team. think they I don't think they will be nine and seven. I think I, I am convinced based on this run and what we've seen that that's over. Assuming that there's not some sort of mass exodus and free agency and they like lose Henry and Tannehill and, you know, Logan, which won't happen. Right. Like if the core of this team stays intact and they can avoid injuries and all that, then yeah, like, you know, the question should be you know, are they going to host a playoff game? Will they get a bye? You know, as the Patriots start to kind of fall away, like who's going to take that other spot up at the top of the AFC next year, you know, with Kansas City, with Baltimore to kind of fight for that, you know, one and two seed. Like, I don't know. Like this team right now, and I don't know if it's just the recency bias or what, this team feels like they should be contenders. And it's just, it's just hard to see them – regressing like you said like there's just not a ton of variance in their model so it, you know even if the defense gets a new coordinator which it obviously is like it, it's not like that's how this team was built anymore maybe for the first four weeks of the season but not after that so yeah i mean this is going to be a super interesting offseason to kind of figure out what this team wants to be going forward let's talk a little bit about the afc championship game itself I think it, the Titans' loss came down to one thing. The Titans this season proved that they could beat average to good teams in a number of ways. Tannehill was fantastic. You had A.J. Brown. You know, Corey Davis could come at you. Derrick Henry, you know, doing what he did. Johnny, like They had all these weapons. They had all these ways to have success offensively. And, and defensively, even, they had some nice game plans. You know, you're getting turnovers from from Bayard and, and, and some good pass rushes from Casey and even Landry every now and then. Um, but the Titans, I think, in the playoffs proved that there was only one way for them to beat really good teams. Like, a lot of the stuff I was just talking about was against, like, average, above-average, good teams. Like, I'd put... The Deshaun Watson Texans in that category. I'd put, you know, the Buccaneers in that category. Uh, but against the Ravens, the Patriots, and the Chiefs, there was one way for them to win, and that was smothering defense and Derrick Henry taking over the game. When Kansas City did not allow them to have that avenue of winning, they could not get the job done. Do you guys agree with that? That's sort of what I was my initial thought after that game. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It made me nervous because I just don't know if that's, you know, a, a, a way that you can go into the future playing. And I don't know if it'll have success in future uh, playoff scenarios. I, I hope so. I, I mean, 
the Derrick Henry numbers in winter months and in the playoffs are are are, are incredible. And but I mean, if you can't stop if you can't stop an offense like the Chiefs on defense, that there's no way you'll never you'll never make the Super Bowl it, unless you have an offense that can keep up with it from a passing perspective. And it's weird because the Titans were able to do that when these two teams played during the regular season. Um, but I, I just, I don't know what happened in this game. I mean, we already talked about the defensive game plan. I, I thought it was all wrong, but regardless of that, the offense complete, completely stalled after, I think it was 17 to seven that the Chiefs scored. Uh, and then we punted on the next possession and then uh, and then I think we punted on the next two possessions as well. So it, it was kind of like the offense just didn't it, it couldn't it couldn't pick up the pace when the running game wasn't working. And that that did concern me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree just because of kind of one game that sticks out in my head that people seem to have forgotten the way it went down. But if you go back to that New Orleans game where the Titans didn't have Derrick Henry like at all, he was inactive. It's a 28 to, what, 31? So it's a 28 to 31 point game. The Titans are down, and Tannehill hits Khalif Raymond over the middle to what should have been the 50-yard line, and then he gets hit helmet to helmet. You know, it should have been a flag. The NFL admitted it. It You know, Khalif Raymond gets concussed, misses the next two games, a really bad injury, clear miss. Should have put the ball on the third of the Titan, or sorry, the New Orleans thirty-five yard line, and at that point, it's a three-point game late in the game. So, if they finish that drive, they probably tie it with a field goal with the one field goal we've seen Greg Joseph attempt, or they score a touchdown, which is how it felt based off the previous drives, and that was all without Derrick Henry at all. So, if you can do that with Dalen Dawkins and Deion Lewis as your primary two running backs against the New Orleans Saints coming off a game where Drew Brees set the all-time completion percentage, and, and I believe it was one or two games after he set the record for most touchdown passes one. thrown. Yeah, so, Michael you know. Thomas set a record in that game, too. Yeah, like, but they force-feed him, so. But anyway, like, the, the point is, is like, when you stick with that also high-octane offense, an offense that put 40-plus on the 49ers just a few games before that. You know, I think that, combined with everything else we saw from Tannehill over that 10-game regular season stretch, shows you that you don't have to necessarily beat teams just with Henry. I think what happened in the playoffs is Arthur Smith correctly took what the defense was given and the Patriots were trying to stop the play-action pass, and the Ravens just opened their mouth and couldn't back it up on the field. So the Ravens also, got steamrolled. Yeah, if things say also like you know Tannehill had two touchdown passes in the first half, and then he had a touchdown run later. So it's not like that whole offense necessarily went through Henry. So I, I don't know. Like it, it's tough. Do you say that like? Tannehill is going to be great? No, not necessarily, but also to just assume that this other shoe is going to drop and he's going to turn into like a terrible quarterback next year feels that won't happen. That won't happen because he's never shown that in his career. He's never right. been like legitimately bad. Correct. Like he's never been like Jameis Winston, like throw a bunch of interceptions and completely no. screw the team or anything like that. Like he his just... low his floor is like is kind this of like game. Alex Smith. 
you know? His yeah, floor but, was that game. Yeah, correct. Like yeah. two touchdown passes and like a. But did he have one or two touchdown so, passes? Uh, I had this written one. down as a topic, and That's since we're two. already kind of on it, I'll talk. About, we'll talk about it now. What do y'all think about Tannehill in the playoffs this year? Because he wasn't asked to do very much, especially in those first two games. Uh, it opened up a little bit for him in the in the championship game, and he and he was not very good. He one hopped a lot of passes. He missed some throws. His timing was off. He had a touchdown to Furcher down the field that he missed early in the game. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Where do you stand on without getting in a contract or anything like that? Where do you stand with Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback of this team? I man, this is tough. I I, I don't know. I, I didn't think he played particularly well in the playoffs. Really, in any of the games, I, I know in the Patriots and, and Ravens games, he wasn't really needed, but and he didn't really get to throw that many times. Uh, but in the Patriots game, he did have that that awful interception, probably his worst throw of the year. Uh, the Ravens game, he, he was good. He really didn't have to throw the ball. Uh, but then when we needed him to throw the ball in this Chiefs game, it hit the it, shot play to Khalif in that Ravens Ravens game. Yeah, no, that was a fantastic throw. And the Johnny Smith like fade in the yeah. end zone. Wow. I mean, I might have been able to throw that one. Okay. Uh, uh, all right, Luke. Get, get, yeah. Get yeah, you know I mean I mean no, what kidding. I meant what I meant by that is <laughs> like he just had to get it in Johnny's vicinity and he was gonna come up with that one. No, yeah, I I agree. Uh, I, I, I I could not have I cannot I do not have the Tannehill touch. Okay, I want to okay. let's get that out of the so way. As long as you admit that, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I I don't know. In the Chiefs game, I thought I thought he left a couple of plays out on the field, but but it didn't seem like our receivers were really getting all that open. Um. So it, it's tough for me. I, I don't know. I I I will say that his regular season success has not been dampened in my view because of these playoffs and his performances in these playoffs. So I I'm still confident about him going forward. Uh, I know you didn't want to talk about a contract. Um, so I, so I won't talk about a contract, (laughs) (laughs) but here it comes. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. It's tough because I think he ended up with what, like six total touchdowns and one turnover in the playoffs. And you can say that one of those was in garbage time, but I mean, how many plays did he not make because he didn't have to, because the Titans were up by, you know, two touchdowns for half the Ravens game or more. So it, it's, it's hard. I don't, I mean, I thought he did fine. Like I think throwing in sub 20 degree weather on the road for your third road game in a row after you've been a really run heavy offense and your running game's not doing anything on the ground. Like, I mean, I, I can see why that would be difficult. I, I will say he looked uncomfortable in like the really cold weather in Kansas City. Yeah, and like I think it helps that Patrick Mahomes like plays there, like he lives there. Right. So you know it's it's notoriously difficult. I think Brett Favre and Peyton Man, not Brett Favre, sorry, Peyton Manning and uh, Tom Brady both were terrible in cold weather games. Like I think sub twenty degree weather, like. They either were very low in productivity or they were very low, like win percentage. And I don't think people talk about that a lot, but it just that's the way it's been. Um, I, I guess that's neither here or there because we're not really considering that. But just if I could make like a small excuse why maybe his timing was off, so much of the game is based off of 
you know, playoff action to Derrick Henry. But the Chiefs, I mean, to their credit, they did not have to, like, bother with the run very much. Uh, it just it wasn't working for the Titans. Like, they couldn't sustain their blocks down the field. Derrick Henry looked a half-step slow for some reason. I don't know if all those carries caught up to him. I don't know if it was the cold weather. I don't know what that was. But uh, the running game was just not anywhere close to what it had been. I think it was under four yards a carry, at least at one point. So, I I don't know. Like, it, it's hard to say that. Yeah. It's hard to downgrade him too much for that, and he still threw two touchdown passes in that game. So, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I've, I'm still perfectly confident, you know, and I won't talk contract, but I'm still perfectly confident in him being the Titans' starting quarterback. Like, I mean, I think the what we've seen from him is the best, what is it, 13, best 13 game stretch we've seen from a quarterback since the Titans have been in Tennessee, like since the Houston Oilers days. As a quick aside, Adam Humphreys, man, he played great. Yeah, maybe we should use him on first and second down instead of only using him on third down, right? Wow. I mean, who, who it, knows how hurt he was? Yeah, oh. it, it would be super interesting to see Arthur Smith, like, because. The, what the offense looked like at the beginning of the year is certainly not what it looked like in the playoffs. Like, even runs aside, but like, you know, I just don't. I don't think they're going to go as many three tight end sets. I think it's going to be more three wide receivers. Well, I there think aren't going to be three tight ends, right? I mean, they're going to yeah. craft. They will have three or four tight ends just because the Titans always do. But like, I mean, they'll still have Blazy yeah. game, or they'll bring him back, or whatever. So. Anyway, like I think, I think a full off season with this cast of you know characters, I don't know. Like maybe we will finally see a team that runs three wide receivers and opens stuff up. I mean, we need to give the ball to Ferkser, man. I I don't I don't know what else he has to do good. for him to not get more touches. I mean, like he smokes every defender that tries to guard him. I remember I was talking to Mike Herndon during training camp one day because he was out there. And he said that he looked up Ferkser's three-cone numbers. Now, Ferkser played receiver at Harvard, but he said that Ferkser's three-cone numbers were like 99th percentile for a tight end. I'm not surprised. He's so quick out of his breaks. It's crazy. He puts safeties on skates. And he has the best hands. Right. You know, any tight end, except for the one time he gets hit in the end zone and, like, it pops out and gets intercepted. Like that happen? But, I mean... Put him and Johnu Smith out there if you're going to put tight ends out there just because it's like neither one of them are good blockers. But, man, if you can just get them open against a linebacker, like, I mean, they're going to explode. I mean, put Johnu at running back if you want to. Like, get get him and Ferkser out there. Like, they did know, at one point, right? Yeah, and they had – They literally lined him up at running back. Yeah, yeah. And they've done yeah. that with Ferkser too. I, I, I don't, You yep. might have already said that, and I missed it. Well, no, I didn't say it, but I, I was going to bring that up. It's just like, you know, use them creatively, do what you have to do. But, I mean, A.J. Brown, Adam Humphreys – uh, you know, those two tight ends like Derrick Henry, like those guys, get those guys on the field as much as you can. And now that you know what it's like calling plays for them, maybe we see that more in the future. And, you know, that is the thing about this Titans team to sort of close out uh, this this conversation is they've got weapons like in years past. It's been like, well, if you're not going to Delaney Walker, then who are you going to? Or, you know, even when Delaney Walker got hurt last year, it was, well, if you're not going to Corey Davis, who are you going to? Now it's like, 
okay, who are we going to on this play because we have so many people who we can who we trust if you're the Titans? Yeah. Man, and, I don't want to – oh, my God. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, what I was going to say is like – and, you know, we didn't even really talk about the six-week stretch during the season that the Titans didn't have Adam Humphreys. Like that's how yeah. good the offense was and how many weapons the team had is, you know, it, they missed the – so Adam Humphreys is second in the league uh, with players of 35 or more targets in terms of catch percentage, which basically just means he's like a magnet who is an easy conversion machine. And they missed that guy for half of the season, basically. And the offense didn't miss a beat. So usually in years past, when anybody who's caught more than three passes misses time, it's been devastating to production. I'm a uh, man. I am left. I'm left wondering what this offense could look like if Corey Davis was the guy that we think he could be. Dude, if he was the guy he was, like, for a pretty good chunk of the game yesterday, or, like, Sunday. Yeah, he he did make some plays. Like, I mean, there were several times when he caught the ball, you know, in crucial down. I mean, maybe in my head it's more because he had so few catches, but, like, (laughs) I think he had, like, three or four catches that were, like, pretty significant plays, but... Yeah, I mean, if if Corey Davis can be that guy and maybe a contract year kind of situation, if they don't pick up his fifth-year option, maybe that pushes him to that next level. But I don't know. Before we get into talking about the Dean Peace situation, I I want to talk about the the defense as a whole and their performance on Sunday. And, Will, I know you have your bones with Dean Peace not rushing three, and I get that, and you're right. But, I mean, guys, if they had rushed four, were we expecting that that game was going to be – terribly different i mean it felt to me watching that game do y'all remember back when the titans were a giant flaming pile of garbage in like 2014 and they went to houston and zach mettenberger took got the living daylights beat out of him do y'all remember that game and it was like every time there was third and more than about two, it was like, well, there's no way they're going to pick this up because that would require having more than a second to throw the ball. <laughs> that was Will Svitek. That was, you know, Putasi. Uh, it honestly kind of felt like that except flipped for the defense. Like unless it was like third and 15, it was like, well, they're going to get it and this drive is going to keep going. And, and, and a lot of that is obviously credit to how good the Chiefs are but if the Titans do want to get to the Super Bowl and want to be able to take down this team that, I mean, let's face it, if any AFC team wants to win the Super Bowl, they're going to have to go through Kansas City at some point. Uh, if the Titans want to be that, they're going to need some more talent on defense, I think. And, you know, you look around and there's just not many holes. But at the same time, other than Kevin Byard, there's no one who's like, this guy can take over a game. Yeah, I mean, if we're if we're speaking specifically in terms of matching up with the Chiefs, we clearly need more speed. Uh, unfortunately, Lo- Logan Ryan's a fantastic cornerback, but he's slow. Tremaine Brock he played very well in the playoffs, but he's slow. Uh, so in, in terms of the Chiefs, yeah, we, we need more speed. But well, some, something you said before, I, it, whether, whether a four-man rush would really make such a big difference in, in a game like this, um, in comparison to a three-man rush, I think so. <laughs> I yeah, think, right. Like, you need to get pressure on the quarterback in order to actually affect the way he's playing. And my thing is we didn't even try. We didn't change anything. Nope. We just expected 
our zone to I don't know. I don't know. We were kind of expecting like like our coverage to hold up for Mahomes to just maybe throw the ball into the ground somehow uh, or or miss a pass which he hasn't shown that he's done for the first two years of his career. So <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. It I think it was a really the more I think about it, the more I harp on it, the more it the the game plan just makes absolutely no sense to me. And I'm ha- I hate to say it, but I it cost us a chance at the Super Bowl. It really did. Yeah, I mean I don't know. It it one hundred percent I mean yeah, I mean like you you cannot agree that this team was a Super Bowl team, but it was a it was fundamentally the way okay so like i'll compare it to this like imagine playing against the titans and thinking that putting eight defensive backs on the field and putting them in prevent defense is the right way to stop derrick henry like that that's the equivalent of rushing three and let <laughs> you might as well just forfeit the game at that yeah point. like that's that's what yeah that's what the that's what the titans defense did like and and mahomes breaking contain on every single play dude, like that's that's a coaching issue that's a scheme okay. thing so I know we're not I know we're not talking X's and O's too much and all that, but the Titans did a bunch of stunts with their defensive line, things that they they did last year when they were their least effective, and you know this year when they've not been effective at all. And what that essentially did is, if the Titans were rushing four, you could almost guarantee that they were going to stunt the tackle in the end, and that's why you got DeQuan Jones or Jarrell Casey or whoever at defensive tackle in space against uh, Patrick Mahomes with a ten yard head start on him. Like it wasn't even close, and maybe that's not the worst game plan in the world if you've got Malcolm Butler and healthy linebackers to cover underneath and a healthy group of corners. But that's not what the Titans had. The Titans had uh, Tremaine Brock. They had, uh, like, at one point they had Wesley Woodyard and David uh, Long out there at linebacker because Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans were both banged up. Like, it, it it's a bad game plan. Like, and, and I again, I didn't want to talk about this, but you asked the question, or you kind of scoffed at the idea that it didn't cost them a championship. I mean, that I mean, it was the worst possible decision, and there was no change from the first half to the second half. As much as Tony Romo tried to say, like, I bet that the reason why Dean Pease didn't adjust is because he's got a whole different game plan for the second half. <laughs> Cut to the second half, and you get your teeth kicked in because you do the same thing again. So they kept praising him. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, that was wild. It's, I mean, they were on like a full game delay. Like it's because they didn't get to watch. Like they didn't get to broadcast the. Uh, Ravens Titans game so they were just you know kind of going with the flow and trying to get their praises from last week but I mean going back to the like actual personnel on defense and like what they did in that game like you know could they have tackled better yeah like you know it was not a great game for Rashawn Evans like just because he didn't really have a chance to make much of an impact and but I mean outside of Cam Well, I mean he could have pushed Patrick Mahomes out of bounds on what is now going to be on every highlight yeah. reel forever. Yeah, but that shouldn't be his job. Like he shouldn't like if he has to start in the middle of the field and back up, like he shouldn't be and and I'm again, like I know like this is not a scheme thing, but that like you should never expect Rashawn Evans to be the guy that can spy a mobile quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. That's not who he is. Like he's not the fastest guy sideline to sideline. But if you've got a corner there or somebody who's gonna set that edge or who's playing a like tighter it it just it doesn't work that way. Like, 
only Luke Keekley when he was playing and guys like him can spy and then cover side to side while also like not closing too much to leave a big lane behind him. I mean, it's just not what Evans is made for, at least not yet. So, you know, it was it was just a bad game plan and the guys I think did as much as they could with what they were presented with. But yeah, like they just didn't have the teeth on defense they needed to beat that team. Okay, so that's going to wrap up our discussion of the AFC Championship game itself. We're going to take a quick 30-second break. When we get back, we're going to get deep into this Dean Pease issue, That the issue being the Titans are going to need a new defensive coordinator because he's retiring. Titans are also going to need a new defensive backs coach with Kerry Combs heading to the Ohio State University to be their defensive coordinator. We'll get into that. We're also going to answer this question, guys. Did the Titans go from good to great this year? So we're going to answer all that, get into all that in 30 seconds. Okay, guys, the Titans need a new defensive coordinator. Dean Pease announced his retirement Monday morning. I don't know that it was very much of a surprise to really anybody. Um, First of all, I mean, Dean Pease, very, very nice guy, very intelligent always learn something about the game every time I listen to him talk. And, you know, Will, I know you had your your bones with him, but he did a lot of good things for this Titans team over the last two years. Yeah, like, I don't think you could have found a bigger Dean Pease fan than me last year. I think he he is fundamental. I think he is a genius. I think he understands football very well. I just, I mean, I just don't think he always married the what he knew about football to what this team actually had. And, you know, it's not because he's not smart enough. He definitely is. He's definitely one of the best defensive coordinators we've seen in the last few decades with his work in Baltimore and his two years here. It's just, it just wasn't the aggression that the team needed this year. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And it, I don't know. There, there were just too many times this season where, where it seemed like he just didn't, didn't game plan correctly. Like in the Panthers game, we got absolutely the the, the defense got absolutely destroyed, and it seemed like the injuries just just really took a toll on the defense as a whole during the the latter stretch, and that probably had a lot to do. Uh, with the with the drop off and, and all of that kind of you know falls back on the defensive coordinator. And I should say this about Dean Pease because I think he did his best work when he had to take something away from another team. Where when he decided he needed to take Lamar Jackson away, he did a good job doing that. Like when he decided he needed to take away Travis Kelsey in this past game, when he was actively trying to do that, it worked. Like the first drive was really good for the defense and they showed aggression. And, you know, that there, there were so many times where either for a certain series or a certain game, or, you know, even last year for like long stretches of games where he would identify something. And when his back was against the wall, you know, before the game, because the Titans like weren't going to score a lot of points on offense, when he had to stop something and was aggressive, he knew the perfect way to set up an attack on defense. And I think that's why it's so frustrating to see him this year because it's almost like uh, the first time in a long time that he had an offense that could support that aggression, he just didn't use it. 
Um, I want to share this quote from Dean P's retirement press conference as we close out this discussion because I firmly agree with him on this, and it's something that I didn't always agree on. Uh, but being around him and being around Vrabel these last two years has really changed my mind on this and, and opened my mind up to this belief. And again, I, I'm 100% with him. He, he said, there's a lot of schemes that work. I mean, everybody has a different scheme, offense, defense, whatever it is. It isn't about the scheme. You've got to believe in your scheme as the coach. And if the players believe that you believe, that's part of it. But the thing of it is, you get them to believe. And if they trust you and really believe that you care about them on and off the field, you can get people to do a lot of good things. And I do truly care about my players. You know, we can sit here and talk all day long about four-man rush, three-man rush, you know, zone versus man, dropping Harold Landry into coverage. But at the end of the day, you know, Dean Pease was a huge part of Vrabel establishing the culture that we were talking about earlier. And and for that reason, he's going to be greatly missed because, you know, I think before being around Pease and Vrabel, I was under this impression that football is just X's and O's and who cares about personality as long as your culture isn't a disaster, you're fine. And my mind has certainly changed on that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, uh, he, I don't know. If, do you guys remember like the end of the Dick LeBeau era? How much we hated Will hated Dick LeBeau. <laughs> we were so sick of the defense. And then go Deep back, Peace comes go back in. And mm. Episodes of the Titan Size podcast. Yeah. Mm. Yep. It was it was awful. And then Dean Peace comes in, completely revamps the defense, turns us into like a legitimate top five to seven unit for a whole season, all of 2018. And for the first like six weeks, probably yeah, first six six weeks of the season, uh, we were that same defense. But it just it, it just kind of all unfolded uh, towards the end. But it, it doesn't diminish what he did. Um, for a majority of his time here. And I think it, it says a lot, too, that, as Vrabel said on Monday, when John Robinson called him to offer him the job to be the head coach of the Titans, he said he was already with his family. He was in Boston College, at Boston College with his son. Uh, and the first thing he did was he picked up the phone and called Dean Pease. Yeah, I mean, it had to be, first of all, it must have been like, great for Vrabel to be able to offer him that job just because they'd known each other and they'd spend time together and they had a great like relationship. But I mean, I mean to know that you're coming in as a head coach for the first time with Dean Pease, there's no doubt in my mind that that helped Vrabel be as successful as he has been because he knew he didn't need to be as hands-on with the defense. And I think he figured out how to be a head coach first and, you know, a play caller, position coach, all that stuff second. And it gave him kind of that leeway to do that. So, you know, Dean Pease, whether or not I agree with some of the stuff he did this year, his impact on Vrabel and his confidence that the Vrabel was about allowed to have and just kind of the things that you can't really qualify or quantify, like those those small things that you don't think about until a guy's gone or until a guy doesn't have has something like that. Like, I don't know, like – I think I will appreciate him for that 
much more than anything he did this year, even though it was the most successful Titans team that they've had in a long time. Yep. Um, I think you guys nailed that on the head. Uh, we'll get into replacements in another episode. I don't know that really any of us are that prepared to discuss that. Um, Titans are also going to have to look for a Kerry Combs replacement. The guy behind my man catch no balls. He's the one that coined that phrase. Uh, imagine the phrase will stick around, but he will not. He's heading to Ohio State to be the defensive coordinator. That's another tough loss. We want to talk about culture. That guy's as energetic as they come, and uh, uh, we'll see who they who they replace him with. But he did a fantastic job. Um, you know, improving pretty much everyone in the secondary. Everyone in the secondary. It was fantastic un- under his reign, uh, particularly the safety play w- was fantastic. And Malcolm Butler in the second season before he got injured, like he was a completely different player than he was in his first season with the Titans. And I think, uh, I think Harry Coombs deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, based on the talent that every position group on the Titans had at their position, it would be hard to argue that, you know, anybody did better than Kerry Coombs. Like, maybe Tyrone McKenzie, but, I mean, I don't know. Like, he did a fantastic job. It was – and everybody's seen the clips of him being super energetic and all that stuff. But, you know, to have somebody around that's not fake and doing that is huge for a group of defensive backs who your job is to run around as hard as you can and stick to this guy, and you have to do that on every single play, and if you ever let up your energy level, you can get beaten for a touchdown. So to have a guy like that coach your defensive backs and essentially turn into a defense that didn't allow many explosive plays at all over the last two years, it speaks a lot to his ability to kind of keep those guys into it and keep them bought in because, I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever had a boss that's like a real rah-rah guy or anything like that, and it just doesn't click with you. But when you've got that kind of guy or that kind of coach, it's just the worst, and you hate playing for him. But, I mean, Coombs was not that guy. Coombs, like, truly believed and truly had that energy naturally, and the guys bought in. I mean, they were they were all about it. So, I mean, credit to Coombs. I don't, I don't know that I've ever missed a defensive positional coach like I'll miss him since Washburn, maybe. So, I mean, it, it it's... Monchak. Well, defensively. But, but oh, offensively, yeah. Like, yeah, like, just, just I mean, I guess what Munchak did with the offensive line is also, like, really, like, important. But, you know, those, like, elite position coaches are hard to find. So, I mean, good luck to the next guy who steps into those shoes because it's a hard and strange role to fill. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, Right now, I just, you just have to say all the credit in the world to Kerry Coombs. Well, you know, and I think it's mostly ridiculous when these alumni from schools are like, yeah, you know, Southern Miss is wide receiver you. It's like, shut up. <laughs> but seriously, for the last, like, five, six years, when Coombs was there, Ohio State was a defensive back factory. Eli Apple, Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley, Bradley Roby, uh, who are some others that I'm missing? Malik Hooker. Vaughn Bell uh, was yeah. there. Um, they've had several guys go later, like Damon Webb got uh, got practice squatted with a, or undrafted free agent with the Titans. Parker I mean, the Tim Strap. Webb, well, this is the yeah. NFL. <laughs> I mean, like all those guys that like played under Coombs or who he recruited and almost got and didn't get, like all those guys are in the NFL at least for a cup of coffee. And 
it, it was so effective that the group he built underneath him, you know, Akuda and all those guys, like the guys that bought into that program based on what they saw his teams do, you know, they're going to be first round picks in their respective drafts. So, like, it, not only did he truly make them DBU and establish that culture, but when they got there, he rose their game to another level. So, yeah, I mean, they're incredibly lucky to have him as the next, you know, DC. And I, he may be one of those guys like Brent Venerables in uh, Clemson who just wants to be a defensive coordinator and wants to be on the defensive side of the ball because I, I don't imagine he has many head coaching aspirations at this point. Did the Titans go from good to great this year? I think they did. Of course. They made the AFC Championship. If that's not great, yeah. then I don't know what is. Yeah, I mean the next step. It's 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 weird to say they made the AFC Championship. Now they need to win their division, but that is kind of the next step, right? Like like yeah. they said, host playoff games, and uh, and I think the reason that I can say that anyone can say they went from good to great is the culture and the fact that I think this is sustainable. Well, I mean that and the fact that you know. If if you're not gonna measure the results, uh, you know wins and loss results as the kind of yardstick for whether a team is good or great, then what are we even doing? I mean, yeah. the Titans were you know basically six quarters away from a Super Bowl win. Uh, and, so and uh, without know. you know without spoiling anybody's stop the nonsense, <laughs> national media people are sitting here saying Tom Brady wants to play for a contender and win a Super Bowl. I think he might want to go to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Like, whether you think that's absurd or not, that the Titans are going to have Tom Brady next year, the fact that all of these respected people are saying, um, uh, you know, the Titans are Super Bowl, Brady wants a contender, so he's going to go to the Titans, right? I mean, that's where they are now. We've come a long way. We we, we, we really have. Uh and yeah, a lot of that is a culture, and I think someone who deserves a lot of credit for that, in addition to Vrabel and the coaches and the players, is John Robinson, who has kind oh, yeah. of mm-hmm. jump-started all of this and just kind of brought back life into a franchise that was so devoid of it for a really, really long time. I'll say I'll say two things about John Robinson. First being that, you know, whenever he says, we want guys who love football, you kind of roll your eyes. Hmm. But we've seen the difference of guys who aren't there to, you know, like I asked Kevin Byard yesterday about the culture of this team, and he said, you know, no one in here is caring about how many Twitter followers they have or, or their stats. It's all about the team. And it's because they don't love themselves, they don't love the money, they love the game. And so that's one thing about Robinson. The other is, I feel like the model to bring back a dead franchise has been totally put out by John Robinson. And it's maddening that teams you know, like the Lions or the Browns aren't following the model that he set forward. And, I mean, he's just done it so brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, and I'll say this. For a long time, all this success was like, well, you know, he had Taylor Lewan and he had Mariota when he came in. Like, it really helps to have those guys when you come in. But, I mean, draft class after draft class, you'll see him bring in somebody who's 
either at that level or close to that level. You know, somebody who is a franchise cornerstone, and all of a sudden, you know, Mariota drops off the face of the earth, and everybody's like, you know, he's not the quarterback, blah blah. blah. Like, you know, what I mean. What does he do? But he trades a fourth round pick to get Tannehill, and you know, somehow either sees that he has that latent talent that's not being used, or he just understands that he's a perfect fit for this offense, or whatever happened. But I mean, he essentially got Miami to eat tens of millions of dollars in salary and got him for as cheap as Blaine Gabbert or cheaper. I can't remember, but you know, every move he's made has been really good with very few exceptions. And the exceptions came early in his career, not late. So the more experience he's gotten, the better he's gotten and the better feel he's gotten for what he wants in players. So, you know, as long as he's in charge, you know, nine wins, you know, felt like the ceiling for a long time. It's feeling a lot closer to the floor now. Yeah. And he's like so methodical and calculated with, with, with almost all of his moves, uh, like this this Tannehill move is it's like, here I, I can get this guy on the cheap just because they don't want him anymore. Uh, let's see what happens. Maybe if Mariota doesn't work out, maybe he'll step in and he could actually be the future of the team. Look what happened. Uh, if if you're old and you're not performing, you're gonna get cut. That's just what it is. He's like, there's no kind of emotion in any of his decisions. It's purely common sense and logically based and it's just it's just huge to have that type of gm uh in your franchise especially when you look at some of these other gms that are just making horrible horrible decisions yeah I, I mean it's the nfl it's like everything is on a scale with coaches it's the ben it's the ben mcadoo to bill belichick scale with you know gms it's like it's, it's just mad. Jason Lind. Bill Lind. Belichick. <laughs> to Bill Belichick to John Robinson. It's just like yeah. some of these people are dumb. And part of it is owners. It, it, like the Browns owner, Jimmy Haslam, doesn't give his poor guys a chance. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and Amy Adams Strunk, you know, we're running out of time, but Amy Adams Strunk deserves a lot of credit as well. Um, no slander uh, from Will Domus on the Haslam family. <laughs> All respect. Um. Let's close out before we do stop the nonsense with this question. Favorite and least favorite memory from this season? Matisse, you going to go first? Uh, I, I can't pick my favorite memory. Uh, I'll go. I think my favorite memory is probably the Josh Kalu block field goal. Uh, that was really, really cool when it happened. The stadium went nuts. That was a fun game. Uh, that kind of solidified Tannehill being Tannehill because he had just taken the Titans on like a 40-second, 60-yard drive. Uh, so I'll say sort of the end of that Chiefs game culminating with Kalu was moment favorite. My least favorite moment in, yeah, of course, very on brand, was uh, there was this one Deion Lewis screen in particular <laughs> this year. It's the well, one that I lit up guys the video with. I, you know, I, he got totally lit up. Everyone in that stadium knew what was coming. 
And I just remember I sit I sit next to Terry McCormick in the press box, and he looked at me. He said, "Luke, I've covered this team for 20 years and watched the NFL much longer than that, and I think that might be the worst play I have ever seen." <laughs> <laughs> so that is least favorite memory. Rip Young Lewis. I don't I don't think my memories are very specific, but um, <laughs> my favorite memory is is the Patriots win. I mean, that was. Yeah. That was so incredible, and especially I, I, maybe more so for me because I was in another country and it was like five a.m. and I was watching the game on my laptop, and you know, just to just to beat that team, the model of success for two decades, it's just it was it was kind of emotional for me, and I, I don't I don't know if I have a least favorite specific memory, but. I mean the Bills and Broncos games were just were just awful, man. I could I can I, I yeah I think the Broncos won. I yeah, that's a good, that's won. a good choice. That any any of the interceptions that were thrown in that game, I think <laughs> I think were were rock bottom for me. And and honestly, it made me it made me just totally quit on the season before before I gained back hope thanks to Tanny. Um, mine are kind of like parodies of each other, or I guess there is parody in my picks is a better way to say it. Um, I'll start with the bad first. The bad is the Marcus Mariota, like Marcus Mariota isn't looking over here at Corey Davis, who's wide open on, um, the comeback drive against the Colts in week two, where, you know, you just go out and you stomp Cleveland and then it feels like you maybe kind of have a chance to win, and then the Colts look like they pull away, and then you're on this two-minute drive with no timeouts, and it feels like if A.J. Brown just catches a pass that's thrown to him or if Mariota looks a different direction, you have a chance to kick a field goal. Maybe you win that game. Probably not because the field goal kicker sucked. But like in that moment, it was all on you know Marcus Phelan, and that's, that's really when it felt like, okay, this is the, the – you know, if this if last year was the beginning of the end for Mariota, then this was like the end of the end. It felt like it was like, okay, now it's just the next game he messes up on, they're gonna pull him. And that's what happened. And for me specifically, that's my worst memory. It's cause it's it's the moment where everybody very clearly turned against Mariota. Um my favorite moment from except, the season. Except the stand boys they live on. Yeah, and, and then it was hard because it was like it felt like you couldn't defend Mariota without like also siding with a group of people who were like, yeah, he is the best quarterback ever. I mean, and I'm like, no, no, that no, was, no, no. That was when I stopped the nonsenses earlier in the season was that he, for whatever reason, became a political topic. Yeah, it was brutal. It was weird, man. Yeah, like, I, like it, it, but that's, that's the nature of social media. It's, you know, you're either a hundred percent one way or you're a hundred percent the other, and there is no middle ground. So pick a side. <laughs> um, but my best memory of the season is the blocked field goal attempt, uh, that the Titans had against the Colts because that was a game where it just felt like it's like, man, like they're going to come back and they're going to beat the Titans. Like the Titans been ahead all game. We've seen this before. This was when Jacoby Brissett people still thought was going to be the Colts quarterback next year, but to block a Vinatieri kick in Indianapolis, return it for a touchdown and then essentially never look back. It, it was one of those things where it was like you finally felt like, okay, maybe this team is not going to go fit right into the same kind of uh, 
easy cookie cookie cutter mold that so many other Titans teams have had where it's just, you know, it doesn't matter the logo on the helmet. It doesn't matter, you know, who you're, you know, who you're coaching against, whatever, you know, whether it's the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Colts, whoever it is, like this team is not going to back down and they're going to keep fighting until they either win or they run out of time. And that was well, the first game where it was like, okay, this team could go to the playoffs. And well, that, they did. that was that was what I led with when I wrote after that game was that doesn't matter what happens the rest of this season, you cannot say, well, it's just same old Titans because the same old Titans were gone yeah, at that and, point. Yeah, because they lose that game. It's like you're down a corner. Like it, it doesn't matter if they have bad receivers or whatever. Like you're still going to get picked apart because it's the Colts and you're the Titans, and that's just not what happened. All right, guys, stop the nonsense. I'll go first. Uh, Pete Prisco gets my final stop. The nonsense of the regular or of the I'm said not the regular season. There's final one of the season. Um, he tweeted a picture of Ben Jones walking on the field barefoot before the game, and uh, says something about him being an idiot. Uh, I don't remember the exact quote. It was something along the lines of, you know, look at this idiot Titans player, right? It was like it was like this isn't toughness. This is uh, like idiocy or something like stupidity or something like that. First of all, like lesson number one for a journalist is even if you're writing or doing something subjective, like a lot of what we do on here is subjective. It's all very opinionated. We're not calling anybody an idiot. We're not th- th- calling names or anything, right? And that that rode me the wrong way because that was just unprofessional of him as a journalist. Whether I mean. You know, some journalists, it's their job to give their opinion, but you can still do that without being disparaging. I mean, I've never sat here and called Dion Lewis an idiot or said that he's like degenerate or anything like that. I mean, he's just not very good at football. So that rubbed me the wrong way. But then at the same time, it's just like clear that he doesn't know what he's talking about because Ben Jones had does that before every game and has done that before every game since he was in high school. He did it at Georgia for four years or however long he was at Georgia. Just classic example even as far as they got we still have our friends in the national media who have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to this team mm. yeah i mean you're absolutely right like i i hate that like i hate that people just continue to jump in and don't have any idea what they're talking about and you know i shouldn't be surprised and that every week i am yeah uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do mine right now. It's I I had to, so many to choose from, so many to choose from, and you know I was gonna go with a friend of the podcast who had a really weird Mariota tweet that was borderline <laughs> erotic fan fiction. But I, I I'm, is this Howie? Yeah, yeah, but I'm not I'm yeah. not I'm not choosing that one. No names. Uh, no, I, I'm gonna focus on some of the analytic. The analytics guys. Oh, out that was how you started, like when we were doing our pre-show conversation. You just I am right on. I am sick of analytics people. I, I am I'm sick of that. But anyway, uh, I'm gonna focus on Kevin Cole, who works for PFF. PFF, by our the way, PFF, the website that has Rashawn Evans with a sub fifty overall grade this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, great stuff. So. Uh, this Kevin Cole guy has been, you know, he he hates the Titans because we beat the Patriots and the Ravens by running the ball down their throats in both games. Uh, so he's on like a running backs don't matter uh, 
um, you know, like crusade. And he is essentially like, I don't know, like comparing past running backs to Derrick Henry uh, by historical comparisons and and seeing whether the Titans should should resign him. And some of these some of these comparisons, man, I can't even he has Ryan Terrain on here. Do you guys remember Ryan Terrain? No, nope. I don't know who that is <laughs> from the Washington Redskins. Still I have no me. idea who that is. Never heard <laughs> he of him. He has Peyton Hill is 2012 on here. Eddie Lacy 2016. I didn't cover Peyton Hillis. It's like <laughs> okay, you can you can you can get your analytics and get it to fit whatever you want it to fit if you really try hard enough. But I'm just so sick of it, man. I'm so sick of it. It's like they these people get so ingrained in their numbers and their data. I sound like Dave Gettleman right now, I swear, but I I'm not that's not who I am. But I'm so sick of it. They take this as gospel <laughs> when you, all you could do is really like use this as as a compliment, as a supplement to what you're seeing on the field and what a lot of other numbers are telling you. And it's just it's really frustrating for me, man. I can't even complete I can't even complete my thought. But this this guy has just been really bothering me for the past like week. <laughs> and uh, it just seems like they have some sort of vendetta against the Titans because our our offense in the playoffs wasn't supposed to work. Like that's not how the modern NFL is supposed to look. Uh, but guess what? We beat uh, two of the best teams in the NFL uh, by doing so. So. Take that for data. <laughs> and also, like, that's what got San Francisco to the Super Bowl. Like, that's what, dude, that's that's what I was forgetting. That's what I was forgetting. The Niners, that's exactly what they did. They did the yeah. exact same thing as the Titans. But the difference, their defense is, is way better. They have better players on their defense. And they, yeah, have they had Patrick Willis, Justin Smith, Dante Wittner, um, just to name a few. Navarro well, that's in the past, then, but I mean, even this year. Oh, I thought you were yeah. talking about the old 49. No, no. I was. I was like, I was like, oh man, like we hit like a time loop. Like <laughs> in the past. I'm clearly confused. Oh, no, Kyle Shanahan's out here running the ball down everyone's throats, and and everyone's praising him, but the Titans win two playoff games doing the same exact thing. And we get we get bastardized. It makes absolutely I mean, no sense to me. Garoppolo threw what eight passes or eight something? Eight passes. Yeah, like so. It's like the lowest in like NFL that's, history or something. Like, than ta- lower than Tannehill. <laughs> yeah, like it's. It, I think it's literally the lowest in championship game history. So, yeah, like all those people just they don't really understand what they're talking about. And this isn't like analytics people like just as a whole because if you use it correctly, like. For like the the big example is like if you're an idiot, you say you have to run the ball effectively to use play action, um, and that's why teams shy away from it, which is just not true because, I mean, that's just not how football works. The key to play action is not having Dion Lewis in the backfield. That is correct. Yes, <laughs> that will 100% get your. Because if I'm a linebacker and he's there, I'm just keeping my spot. Yeah. So like. I guess the point of it is, is like if you use it correctly and use it to analyze trends and see what works. But if you're re- if you're like this is my point and this is what you said, but it's like you're like this is my point, so I'm gonna reverse engineer data and try to find all these unflattering comps and, and you know present this information that way. Then just stop using the information because you're not using it correctly. Like it's just it, it's stupid. 
Um, I guess I'll jump right into mine. Uh, we, we've kind of talked about this already. I, I, I probably should have gone first just because it's kind of a negative note to end on. But mine is this quote from uh, Jarrell Casey. I don't know if it's a direct quote or not. It's a tweet from John Glennon after the game. And he said, uh, says, Titans Casey on team's inability to stop Chiefs. Quote, the plan is always was always to make them kick field goals in the red zone. Bend but don't break. Today we broke. Those guys was able to capitalize and get the ball in the end zone. Um, bend, but, bend but don't break is such an outdated concept from when the offenses in the NFL weren't so explosive and I guess just, you know, run heavy. Because if you get somebody on the 20-yard line and you know they want to run the ball, it's easy to stop them, like theoretically. I mean – We've seen the Titans defense do it over and over again. But if you go against a passing team and you expect them to just start running the ball because they're inside the 20-yard line, like that's just not what's going to happen. So bend but don't break is it's this weird sort of phrase that people use to cover stuff that they don't want to explain rationally. It's like if I said apples to oranges, anytime somebody compared me to com- like or asked me to compare things, like you know, I can say that. And what? It it, well, okay. I, what I'm saying is, like, if you say apples to oranges, like, it's something to say, like, okay, like, if I said compare the Titans defense to the Ravens defense, and somebody's like, oh, it's apples to oranges because they run different schemes. Like, no, okay. like, it's not apples to oranges. Like, that's a phrase you use because you don't want to get into the real information. Just like bend but don't break is this idea that. It's like, oh, you know, we played bend but don't break defense. It's like, no, what you did is you played a lot of three-man rush, four-man rush, like zone behind it, like, and then you put Logan Ryan on Tyreek Hill in man coverage sometimes, and that, like, those were bad ideas. Like, bend but don't break feels like a way to kind of gloss over making bad decisions or not wanting to make that kind of comparison. So I don't like it. It seems like kind of a buzz buzz phrase i guess that people use to kind of poo poo away any sort of like disagreement I, I don't like it i'm i hope i never hear it from another titans player again unless he's making fun of another team that said they were going to play bend but don't break defense it's just it needs to get out of the vocabulary now bend but don't break means you're bad at defense your goal should be to get off the field in three plays yeah, I mean, you're as a defense. If you're confident in your defense and in your scheme and in your players or whatever, you're not playing bend but don't break. You're trying to dictate the pace. That's it's what the Titans did against the Ravens. And it just mm, I hate we it. shouldn't have to play bend but don't break defense with the amount of talent we have on defense. I mean, Harold Landry's just so good. Oh God, here Shut we up. go. <laughs> Luke's been Tune in next stuff. week. <laughs> He's been doing it the whole episode. He's like, and they've got Harold Landry every now and then. Harold Landry. And I'm like, I'm not biting on it. <laughs> uh, it's been a fun season, everyone. Uh, you know, we, we started this show right before training camp, and uh, we've we've been steadily growing. We really appreciate everyone that uh, that tunes in and listens, and we've got an off-season full of content coming up. We will be back next week. Because the Titans need a defensive coordinator, and we're going to talk about who can fill Dean P's shoes. So until then, again, great season, uh, fun season to cover this Titans team for the three of us. I think we'd all agree on that, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
so for Matias and Will, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Boom. That was a great episode. Um, also, you you may have noticed yeah. weird behavior when you said uh, the Haslam name. Uh, yeah. My cousin, or, sorry, yeah, my cousin is like married to his daughter. So oh, like, shit. and I, I just told him like at Christmas, like that I had a podcast and like we were talking about it and stuff. So like, um, wait, you told Jimmy Haslam about our podcast? No, 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 no. no. I, was kind of, I, told, oh, okay. I told my cousin, and, but that would have been fucking wild. Um, he would hate the things I have to say. But uh, <laughs> I told my cousin and and his wife, uh, and like. I just realized when you were talking about it, I was like, "Ooh, I need to like jump in and make sure." It's <laughs> like, "Will Lomas, uh, you know, like you know where I live." I'm like, "Please don't save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding." It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP SmartSide today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.